Hello and welcome to the Sports Technology Podcast. In this episode, we speak with mental coach Brian Levinson from Washington, D.C. about sports psychology. He currently works with teams and individuals from kids to professionals to help them achieve their physical potential with greater mental consideration and preparation. We talk about the growing field of sports technology and the relationship between mental and physical performance. Check out our website, sportstechnologypodcast.com, for more information and follow us on Twitter at SportsTechPod. Enjoy! So hello and welcome to the Sports Technology Podcast. With me again today is Henry. Hello. And our guest today is Brian Levinson. He's a sports psychologist and is going to talk about uh, what his work is in, in the sports field. So Brian, could you just say hello and maybe just give our audience a two or three minute intro of, of what you do? And Sure, Mike. So um, I'm actually not a sports psychologist. I am a mental coach. Um, okay. The reason I'm not a sports psychologist would be I don't have a PhD or a PsyD in psychology, but I do have my master's in sports psychology. I went to a school outside of San Francisco called John F. Kennedy University, and that's where I studied and got my master's in sports psychology. Uh, and I currently have a practice that's called Core Mental Training, where I work with a variety of athletes, everything from 10-year-old golfers to professional basketball players. So quite a diverse population, and you know I help them with their mental game. So we talk about stuff like confidence, motivation, focus, concentration, pretty much anything that you could imagine being a, being important for an athlete. Uh, I'm a big believer that performance is performance. It's like like uh, is what I like to call it. For example, you know, in the Super Bowl last night, Madonna, I consider her to be a performer, just like Tom Brady or Eli Manning would be performers at quarterback. So the heart of my business is really in performance psychology. Um, lends itself mostly to sports psychology because that's my passion. So I do have clients that, you know, either are in business or in other realms of society that deal with performance on a regular basis. So um, that's really about me. Um, I'm also in the process of merging my company with some other people in the sports psychology field, and we're creating a company called Cape Performance, and that website will come soon as well. Okay, so what initially got you interested in, in the field? I had been working in sales for about three years after I graduated college and had always been interested in sports and had always, you know, watched a lot of sports and sort of been, you know, from an analytical perspective, always been interested on the mental side of the game. And I had a good family friend who, you know, works in sports psychology for a living. And since I graduated college, she was always in my ear saying, hey, I think you really like what I do. I think there's a need for more people to be in this field and I think you'd be I think you'd be really good at it. So I sort of explored sports psychology with her and decided that the best thing for me to do would be to go back and, and get my masters in sports psychology and that's sort of the story and uh of how I got into the business. I moved back to Washington DC, which is where I'm from originally, and uh opened up shop here and I've been working with a variety of athletes since then. Can you tell us a little bit about your master's program? I know you describe it a little bit on your website, um, but maybe tell us a little bit more. Yeah, so uh, when I decided to go back to graduate school, I had to decide if I wanted to go back and get a PhD, a PsyD, um, or a master's. And, you know, I found that really the best fit for me was John F. Kennedy University. They offer a master's specifically in sports psychology. And as I always tell people, you know, I got into sports psychology largely because of the sport element of it. So I don't think I necessarily would have gotten into psychology if it didn't involve sport. So John F. Kennedy offered a very specific, very uh, applied program. So I had a lot of internships and really sort of, you know, got my feet wet early and, and sort of, you know, what I say, thrown to the wolves or, or thrown to the fire, you know, right off the bat. 
And I feel like I learned the best that way and can kind of, you know, reflect on my experience and, and learn from my experience. So the program was great for me. I also completed a thesis that looked at home court advantage in the NBA. So uh, it was a good mix of sort of research and applied. And, you know, for me, it was a great fit. How long has sports psychology been a thing? That's a good question. It's been around for quite a while. You know, there, I think that it goes back to late 19th century, 20th century. I'll have to go back to my academics to remember the exact dates. But really, I think it's picked up pretty pretty dramatically in the last 20, 30 years, where a lot of athletes are now utilizing it as a tool, um, and especially in individual sports like golf and tennis. You see most of the pros using people in sports psychology. I think it also parallels sort of how psychology and society is looked at and, and how people are more willing now to get help and, and to go see people for the mental side of whatever they may be dealing with. So you know, I think the stigmas of psychology in general have gone down a lot in the last 15, 20 years. And I think recently, pretty much in the sports world, they're becoming a lot more accepted as well. When you work with an athlete, do athletes come to you when they already have mental issues or issues performing or is it more a preventative? That's a really good question. Um, I, I would say both. So sometimes it's what you know you would call troubleshooting where they say, hey, I just lost my confidence. You know, for golf, you know, I'm, I'm hooking the ball a lot. For tennis, maybe it serves. For basketball, it might be free throws. So, you know, troubleshooting does exist. But what I prefer to work on is is really what uh, in our field is called performance enhancement, which is really lends itself to sort of positive psychology and the idea that hey, you've got certain strengths that exist. Let's continue to strengthen those strengths. And, you know, you don't have to necessarily to be, necessarily be sick to get better or to get help. You know, I always say you don't have to wait till it rains to build a roof, and you should build a roof before it rains. And I look at what I do largely as building that roof so that when those challenges do occur, you're prepared and you're ready and hopefully you're able to perform. What's a typical case or athlete that you work with? Like, how does the the pro, how does that process go about building confidence and maintaining confidence when they're performing or when they have to overcome hurdles? How does that process kind of take place? Yeah, so I mean, I, I'm a big believer that confidence is built from preparation. So before you had this interview today, hopefully you did some preparation and looked up, you know, my website, who I am, what I do, and then you know you gain confidence in your abilities by preparing yourself and knowing how to do interviews. Uh, so preparation definitely is a big piece of confidence. And, and I certainly stress that when I work with athletes and it's something that you definitely can control. So, you know, that's a good thing. And then the other part of confidence for me, at least stems from competence and the idea that, you know, the belief that you know what to do and when to do it. So once again, just taking it very simply from the perspective of you interviewing me, you know, you have to be competent in what you're talking about whether it's in the sport world or, or what your website does, you have to have a belief that you know what you're talking about. And the same thing for, you know, me uh, answering the questions for you. So I have to, you know, know what your website's about, know the audience that I'm talking to and that sort of preparation and then also feel confident in my abilities to, you know, answer the questions and, and really any question that you have. And, and I think that really lends itself to sports as well. It's the same thing. You have to have confidence in your preparation whether you're a golfer, basketball player, tennis player, you have to prepare so that when you get in that moment, you're going to know what to do. And then you also have to feel competent in the movements, the techniques, um, the tools that you have in your toolbox. So um, I really believe that confidence stems from preparation and competence. Based on your experience, are there some sports or, or perhaps even positions within sports that seem to be perhaps generating a bit more mental stress than others? Sure. I mean, I... 
what I always tell people is the most mental sport out there is the sport that you play. So um, <laughs> I, I always, you know, I, I've met with all kinds of different athletes, whether it's a football player or a golfer, and they'll tell me, oh, my sport is so mental. Especially when you get to the elite levels, you know, the college pro levels. At that point, you know, your your physical potential starts to lower and, and really it's your mental game that, that can either take you over the top or you can struggle with and doesn't allow you to sort of get over that hump. Having said that, certainly there's sports historically that have led themselves more to, to sports psychology. And I think my phone brings more in those individual sports like golf and tennis or in individual positions like a hockey goalie or an NFL kicker, you know, or a pitcher in baseball or a goalie in, in soccer or football, as, as some of the world likes to call it. So certainly I think that positions or sports can lend themselves more to what I do. But having said that, you know, I, I think the argument can be made that it really depends on the person and the athlete and how much of it they, they believe is mental and what, what their mental makeup is like. When you work with an athlete, when I kind of think of this angle, it's almost kind of a one-on-one type of arrangement. But would you interact with kind of getting the coach's side or other teammate's side? Or how does that kind of whole dynamic work? Because if, if you're working just with one athlete, you kind of hear one side of the story, but you may not be hearing what's going on in practice and things like that. Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. Um, I have individual athletes that I work with, and they can be in any sport from golf to basketball, tennis to football to hockey, and, and those are individual clients. They either seek me out through their agent or, you know, through their parent if it's a youth athlete, um, or a coach may say, hey, you should go talk to Brian. So those individual athletes, it's pretty, you know, simple. It's, it's just working with them on all of the themes that we've talked about before. But I also work with teams. So currently I work with three different teams, and there is that balancing act of working with the coaches, which, you know, at the end of the day, they control playing time. They control a lot of times the mentality of, of the athlete and the message that, that's being sent out to the athlete. So I actually love working with coaches and have some really good experiences working with teams where, you know, I'm, I'm working with the coaches as much as I'm working with the players. So um, it, it definitely is a balancing act and you want to respect the confidentiality of uh, of your relationship with the athlete while also trying to help the coach figure out how can I best reach that athlete and best get that athlete to perform. So I actually really enjoy the team environment. Um, I'm a people person. So for me, it's, it's really fun working with teams and it's something that I enjoy doing. So with that also comes, you know, figuring out what you want to say to the coach, what messages you want to say to the coach or coaches and sort of riding that fine line and making sure that the player still knows that you're there for them as well. Is sports psychology as as uh, ubiquitous as physical therapy for elite sports? Is it something that every every team is involved with in a, in, on some extent? So, uh, you know, I think it's a growing field. More and more professional teams are hiring people or groups of people to work with their athletes. Uh, more agents, as I said, are, are referring their clients to people like me. But it's still, it's still got a ways to go compared to personal training or physical therapy. You know, physical therapy is such a specific need that athletes know that they have to go through when they get hurt. So it's such an obvious need, and if they don't do it, they won't be healthy. Uh, personal training, you know, today isn't what it was 20 or 30 years ago. And now today, if you meet an athlete that doesn't lift weights, you know, they're, it's, it's pretty unheard of. So, you know, I think the hope in the sports psychology community is that we're heading in the same direction that those fields have, have been in in the last, you know, 15, 20 years, and the growth of those fields can, can translate over to sports psychology so that, you know, in the next 10, 20 years, 
you'll start to see, you know, every athlete at least consult with someone in this profession and, and, and more and more teams at least have it be standard standard practice. So uh, I think that's the hope. Are we there yet? I would say no. Did you have a, a perception that has changed over time? Was there something like when you initially started in the field, you're like, this is how it happens and this is why I think it does. And then that's been changed after working with athletes or coaches. I think sports is always changing. It's always evolving, just like society is always changing and always evolving. Um, I think there's a sense that, um, you know, there's always a sense that the next generation isn't as tough as the last generation. I think that seems to be a constant, whether you talk to coaches or, or old, old heads in their sport, there's always that, that idea. But I think also a lot of coaches and, and sort of the new breed of coaches are, are much more educated on sports psychology, whether they've read a book or met someone along the way, and they sort of get this idea that, hey, they're not a shrink that's there analyzing every move that I make. Instead, they're here to help and, and here to really maximize potential, which is, which is in large part what I do. It's, you know, how do you maximize potential in an athlete? And, and that's really the same, same idea, the same concepts that coaches have. So I, that's why I go by mental coach and I really look at myself uh, in that light. So that's sort of my thoughts on that. We've spoken mostly about uh, individuals and individuals within a group, but um, I'm wondering if, if you have any experience or if, if, it's, if it's something that's investigated the, the, I guess maybe crowd mentalities or, or like ways to ways to psych up a, t- a team to cohesively together before a match, whether whether it be for like I don't know locker room decorations or or like uniforms for intimidation or or like I don't know rituals or, or things I don't know just just something to to kind of create an atmosphere and a team mentality rather than individual strength. Is that is that uh, is that a topic of of investigation in the sports psychology world? Absolutely. So team cohesion is, is something that's studied and researched. And, you know, it's, it's always an element of what we do. It's how do you build that team cohesion? Some people say winning creates team cohesion. Others would say there's other ways that you can build team cohesion. And I'm sort of a believer that you can still be cohesive without winning, and you can win without being cohesive. So um, it's, it's an interesting topic. And, you know, I think it's especially interesting in sports that, our team sports, but there's individual athletes and how that individual athlete performs in that team largely impacts the team's performance. So I work with a wrestling team and wrestling is one-on-one. So, you know, if each wrestler does their job, then the team will be successful. It's that simple. Yet they, they, it's determined if they win or lose, depending on how the team does as a whole. So certainly team cohesion in a sport like that is something that is worked on and talked about. And, and it's, it's more complicated than a sport like soccer or basketball or hockey or, or football where they might be playing together and, you know, you pass the ball to someone and it's much more of an interact, interaction between the individual athletes. So um, it's, certainly, it's certainly something that I bring up. I'll, I'll do activities to try to build team cohesion and, you know, speak to communication and leadership and, and that sort of stuff. And, and it's definitely a part of what I do, especially when I work with teams. Sort of that group dynamic is obviously important to performance, and it shouldn't be taken lightly. And I think every coach recognizes that and tries to build that into their program in, in some way. When you start working with a team or an athlete or a coach, how does that work? Like, do you interview them or do you observe their practices or games? Like, can you just walk us through maybe a, a typical athlete or coach interaction? Yeah, it really depends on, on the situation. So, you know, I work with some high school teams where they just want me to really be like the other coaches. So 
I'll be on the sideline. I'll just be there, and I'll, I'll sort of help them all the team presentations. I'll sit in on practice and observe, and then, you know, talk to the guys for a minute or five minutes or ten minutes, however much I can get. Whereas other teams, you know, I might just meet with the individuals and it might just be constant individual meetings and, and maybe team presentations as well. And, and then the coaches, as far as that relationship goes, once again, it really depends on what the coach wants. Some coaches will call me after games or practices and, and we'll talk for, you know, 30 minutes to an hour about what happened, how, how they could have performed better, uh, what's going on with the individual players and, and my observation on that. And, you know, other coaches it'll be more small talk type of stuff. So I really let the team sort of dictate what that relationship's going to look like, and then I take it from there. Um, you said you work with quite a wide range of, uh, of athletes from, I guess, children to, to the elite level. Um, is there, can you make any generalizations about the, perhaps the, the intensity of, of the pressure or, you know what I mean? Like how the intensity of the pressure that the people, the athletes feel they're under for the uninitiated, it seems a bit a bit odd that a, a ten year old could be experiencing a whole lot of stress from from sport performance anxiety. But uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's a, once again that's a really interesting question, and I think I had certain generalizations when I first started. And to be honest with you, um, the age, you know, when you, I, you know, I haven't worked with anyone younger than really the age of ten, so I don't know about about really youngsters. But you know, it. it the age sometimes it really doesn't matter. I mean, I've worked with a ten-year-old or eleven-year-old that's talking to me about the same type of issues that a professional athlete has. You know, certainly there's going to be a level of maturity that that's not there. Um, but you know, I think I think youngsters, especially when you start to get to that age, around ten years old and up, you know, they really mirror what they see on TV, what their parents do, what they see in adults, and they sort of you know take on what they see. A lot of times you can see. Uh, you know, I've, I've, I've watched kids play their sport and then watch their parents play their sport. And a lot of times you can just see there are a lot of similarities that exist there. So, you know, I oh, think when I, first started, when I first started with youth, uh, working with youth, uh, I had the same sort of generalization that you have, which is, hey, you know, youngsters are going to have this or that or, you know, whatever. And, you know, the more I work with them, the more sort of at times I'm, I'm just really impressed a lot of times with how they look at their game. Sometimes I have youngsters who get what we're talking about more so than the adults that I work with. So, you know, I, I, I wish I could give you sort of more generalizations, but I think my generalization is that there actually isn't um, necessarily generalizations, if that makes sense. And, mm. uh, you know, it's been pretty fascinating to see that. And, you know, I, I don't know if, if I work with more, maybe there maybe there'll be more sort of broad stroke generalizations that will come about, but for now, it's it's been it's been pretty fascinating to see that the age I go in thinking that oh, a ten or twelve or thirteen or fourteen year olds going to think this way, and an adult's going to think this way, and the reality is that you know it, it's not it's just not always the case. Very interesting. If people want to kind of get in touch with you or learn more about some of the work you've done and find out some about your websites, can you just uh, give them some of those details? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter and I'm I'm really accessible via Twitter. You know, I'm one of those people that thinks that Twitter is probably the best invention that we've had since the internet. So, <laughs> you know, I just love it because it's it's just a place where you can find so much information and just constantly be learning, which which is what I love. So I'm at Brian Levinson um, at Twitter. Again, easy easy to follow. And I send out a message of the day, Monday through Friday at 9 a.m., which either deals with research, uh, it's either quotes, videos, articles, and then you can access that message of the day on Twitter 
Um, I also have a website called corementaltraining.com, so that's easy to find. And then I'm in the, in the process of merging you know, my business with some other sports psychology people, and that website is going to be called capeperformance.com. CAPE stands for the Center for Athletic Performance Enhancement, so that'll be capeperformance.com. And I'm sure we'll have a Twitter account come up with Cape Performance soon as well. So email Brian at CoreMentalTraining.com as well. So um, those are the best ways you can reach me. And I pride myself on being accessible. And since you guys are sort of tech guys, uh, you know, I'm, I'm on the iPhone. I, I get everything emailed through my iPhone. So you need access for sure. That's great. And so if anyone has any questions, they can check that out. That'll also be posted. To, everything will be posted to our website. So thanks again for your time. Um, Thank you. Really interesting. All right, Mike. Uh, thanks a lot, and Henry. Thanks a lot. And that is the episode. Thank you, Brian, and thanks, listeners, for listening. We will post links to the aforementioned sites on our website, sportstechnologypodcast.com, and remember to follow us on Twitter at Sports Tech Pod. Thank you. Bye.